welcome. This is Matt Hat Economics, recording from the U Cornell University. My name is Yu Dong. I'm a graduate student majoring in applied economics. Here is Elaine, my classmate. Hello, hey. Today on our show, we invited our old friend, Professor David Just. Hello. And our new guest star, Dr. Richard Swannell. Uh, hello. Dr. Richard Swannell is a development the director at RAP. He has spent his career working on ways of reducing our impact on the environment. During his career at RAP, his team has focused on delivering a more sustainable, resource-efficient, and more circular economy, particularly in food and drink. The Waste and Resources Action Program, which we call its RAP, is a, re a registered charity. It works with business, individuals, and communities to achieve a circular economy through helping them reduce waste, develop sustainable products, and use resources in an efficient way. Recently, all the UK and Ireland is pledging to reduce operational food waste by 50% by 2030 from a, two, a 2015 benchmark. This target, which sits within the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, will be achieved through a collaboration with the Waste and Resources Action Program to engage further with suppliers and third-party logistics providers. We will discuss with Dr. Richard Swannell on how we could make our world better by cutting food waste. So, Dr. Richard Swannell, could you tell me more about what motivates you to engage in food waste and what's the definition for food waste? Okay, you don't. Well, I started working on food loss and waste back in 2005, and I'd recently joined RAP, which was formed in 2000, and to head up its team that were working with the retail sector to reduce its packaging waste. And in order to study the packaging waste, we what we did is we put together a voluntary agreement between all the major uh, supermarket retailers at the time um, and ourselves and the governments of the UK uh, to try and reduce the amount of packaging that arose and then actually to get it to go down um, uh, per capita over a course of uh, five years. Now, this is this was interesting in its first instance in the focus on packaging, but when we actually looked into household bins in the UK, we also found that not only was packaging a very significant source, but so was food waste. So when we agreed this voluntary agreement with supermarkets, we put in an extra line saying, we seem to have a problem with food waste and we'd like to understand it a bit more detail. Would you be happy to work with us on this? Um, and yeah, that was agreed. And so that initiated a series of uh, research by RAP to understand A, how much food was being thrown away, B, what was being thrown away, and C, why it was being thrown away. Um, and that led to a, a bit of uh, research being produced called the um, uh, basically the Food We Waste report that we produced in 2007. And that articulated clearly how much food waste there was, about 8.3 million tonnes, huge amount, um, uh, of which most of it could have been eaten, about 60% of which could have been eaten. And it became really clear as to why we were throwing away food waste. So this was the start of uh, my work in this space. And once we got this data, we then started setting about um, a work program to try and tackle it, not only in the home, but also in hospitality and food service, and also in the retail supply chain. 
That's that's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, so that early on, you were able to discover this this uh, huge uh, problem with food waste. For those who uh, might be following at home, food waste has become a huge topic of interest. Uh, you know, among a wide group of of NGOs and government organizations, um, just just given the scale of the problem. I, I'm wondering if you could give us a, an idea of, you know, what, what is the problem with food waste? What's, what is, you know, what happens that's bad if I, I end up not being able to use my lettuce? Well, so on a global scale, we have some data from the Food and Agriculture Organization, which estimates that about a third of all the food that's produced on the planet worldwide is wasted. So that basically means for every two tons of food that we consume, we waste about a ton. Now that has a huge consequences. First of all, it costs vast amounts of money, um, about 940 billion US dollars, which is somewhere around twice the turnover of Walmart. So huge wow. in cost terms, but also huge in environmental terms. So to give you an idea, you need an area the size of China to grow the food that we throw away every single uh, every single year when you think about the water impact uh, water fresh water use 70 percent of all fresh water use on the planet is in agriculture so if we're using that water to grow lettuces that we then chuck away that is a huge loss of water in carbon emissions terms if food waste was a country it would be the third biggest greenhouse gas emitter on the planet behind the us and china uh, constituting about 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and to give you an idea, that's six times roughly the total emissions from the global aviation sector, just to give you an idea of scale. And against a, that's all against a backdrop of about 800 million people going to bed every night globally without enough food to eat. So there's really strong reasons why we should care about food waste, because actually it's valuable. That, that's uh, those are just huge numbers uh, a lot of and a huge impact we can see from those numbers um, why make the issue so hard to tackle right now well that's a really interesting point I mean I, I think one of the interesting facts is that when you look at the the food loss and waste around the world what you see is in developing countries, most of the food loss and waste is actually in from farm through the supply chain, and there's relatively little in the home. Mm. And that transitions when you get to developed countries like the UK and the US, when you see much higher percentages in the home and much less down the supply chain. Mm. And what you find, what's quite interesting, is so far with the countries we have some data on, it looks like as countries become more wealthy, they make this transition. And it's not just wealth. I think it's also to do with urbanization, mm. taking people away from the land. And what happens, I think, is we get into the habit of throwing small amounts of food away, and we don't realize just how much that adds up to. Mm. So to give you an idea, in, in the UK, the average family would throw away hmm, about $1,000 worth of food a year. Uh, but they just don't realize how much that is there. And when you, when we first went and asked people in this study I was describing in 2006, 2007, when we asked them, how uh, do you, do you waste food? 
90% of people responded by saying, no, 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 we don't waste food. <laughs> so it was actually, they weren't even seeing that food was being wasted. Now that's down to between 50 and 60% in the UK, which is a great step forward. But still, it's one of those things that, you, you know, we've, we've got into the habit of doing it and we don't realise we're doing it. And therefore, if you don't realise we're doing it, we can't do much about it. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting issue, particularly in the home, right? Where you you have all these motivations. You want to make enough food so that uh, that people at the table, uh, you know, get full and don't feel like you've you've skimped on them. You want to provide for your family healthy foods like fruits and vegetables that are pretty highly perishable. Um, but at the time you make those purchases, at the time you're making, you know, your decisions about how much to put on the table. You, you don't know exactly how much you're going to need. And so you have this tendency to, to get extra as, as some sort of insurance, right? And, and I think that's part of it. We've actually delved into this in quite a lot of detail. What are the, uh, the motivations in the home? We've done the same, actually, in, in the supply chain, in restaurants and hotels as well. But let's mm -hmm. just focus on the home for the moment. Um, and, you know, fundamentally there are two major causes uh, of, um, uh, of food waste in the home. One is we buy too much and don't use it in time. So that's about, uh, and that, that in part is about storage as well as about planning. So for example, if you put apples in the fridge, they'll last up to two weeks longer than if you mm -hmm. keep them on the surface. Um, you know, you keep them inside a room somewhere. Um, and the second thing is we cook too much uh, and then we don't know what to do with the leftovers. And it's roughly 60% um, food, you know, we don't use it in time and about 40%, um, uh, you know, we cook too much and we don't know what to do with the leftovers. Um, in the UK context, obviously I'm sure it varies from country to country. So when you've got those sort of causes, the question then is, is can you then sort of, once you realise you've got this as an issue, sure you want to provide people uh, with your, your family with good, healthy food, but also, can you do simple things that help you also make the best use of the food that you've spent lots of your hard-earned money on? And that's the where we're trying to work with, with citizens to try and change behavior so you, you get back. And, and I guess, David, you come back to this point. You know, throughout human history, we've been really good, I would say, as a society of managing food. You know, we've got whole menus that are about how to make the full use of the pig full use of the veg and the um and the fruit that we grow you know great recipes that use absolutely everything we possibly can because food was not abundant um now we've got much more abundance of food can we also come up with a way of managing food that fits in with our busy lifestyles and enables us to make the best use of the food we buy and minimizes all these negative consequences that we started this discussion on you know, still, still thinking about the the household. Mm -hmm. have, have you? I mean, have you found anything that's effective at reducing this waste in the home? For, for sure, yes. I mean, we we launched um, back in two thousand seven, just after we produced the food we waste report. We we launched a campaign called Love Food, Hate Waste, um, mm. which is does exactly what it says on the tin. Mm. Um, and what we did is we we made particularly the financial case. For action. So the first thing we need to do is to a expose the fact that we do waste food. 
And that was the big thing on the day of the launch of this report. You know, the sheer amount of coverage we got in terms of the, you know, when people realised just how much was being thrown away and they all went, oh, goodness, we can't possibly do this. This is ridiculous. Um, and then you once you've actually got them thinking in terms of, oh, we, perhaps I need to do something, then it's coming in behind them and saying, well, OK, this will also save you money if you change behaviour. And here's some simple hints and tips that you can do that will help you make the best use of the food that you buy. And so we followed up with some key critical messages. We just had five straightforward messages, which were around planning, around understanding date labels, around storage, it was around portioning, and it was around lovely leftovers. Very clear, simple messages that we then backed up with our website, uh, lovefoodhatewaste.com, and promoted that as hard as we could um, uh, to people to help them uh, change behavior. Now, over a five-year period, we, we managed we did, it worked really quite well, um, and we managed to help reduce food waste by around a million tonnes over that period of time, the total reduction, of which the campaign probably accounted for around half of that change. Mm-hmm. So it, was, uh, it, it did seem to work fairly well um, during that period. The other thing we tried to do was also to do things which would change the environment in where people shopped, change the promotions around food, um, change the way that date labels were, uh, were put on products um, and change some of the labelling to make it as easy as possible. So it was that combination of direct campaigning to citizens and helping them change behaviour, plus backed up by changes in store and changes on pack and changes to promotions that hopefully made it as easy as possible for people to change. It's an interesting point about the the date labels. I, I, there's there's been a fair amount of behavioral research on on how people respond to these sort of expiration labels on food, yeah. and and people treat them as if there is something dangerous the day after it it goes, or or at least very soon after it it you know the date passes. When you start talking to them about how those dates get put on there, and I I don't know how it works in the UK and the US, most foods. It's just a, a, up to the discretion of the, the supermarket how they want to do their date labels. And, and often they're, they're very conservative. You can continue to eat things long after that date goes. Yeah, I mean, th- there's quite a lot of law associated with how you set um, date labels um, in Europe. But I mean, th- th- date labels is, cl- is clearly one of the factors. There's only one, though, David, to be sure of, of the yeah. factors that, um, that causes uh, people to throw food away. But it's definitely one. Now, on, we spend a lot of time uh, with, within Love Food, Hate Waste to um, yeah, ed- well, talk to people about what they exactly mean. So a use-by, and I think you have this in the US as well, mm-hmm. that is about food safety. Uh, however, you can f- usually freeze food right up to midnight on the use-by date. And so from the vast majority of products, we encourage people to just freeze them if you're not going get to get around to using them in time. Best before is exactly what it says. It's best before, but it's fine afterwards. Um, and, you know, we actively encourage people to think of things they can do with a food that's beyond its best before day. And that, interestingly, people confusing best before and use-by and saying, oh, well, now it's past its best before day, I can't eat it. Well, of course you can. That trying to get that message across has been a in- critical part of our campaign. And I'll give you an example. Um, one of our um, uh, retailers, Co-op uh, in the UK, back in February, announced that it was actually going to sell product, long shelf life product like rice and pasta, after its best before date, 
for a, a small sum for, you know, something like about 10 cents. And the coverage that got in the media was absolutely extraordinary. Oh, you mean you're going to sell food after its best before date? Yes, <laughs> absolutely we are. Um, and it's really fascinating. There is, a, there is also a company in the north of England um, mm. which is set up specifically to sell food that's close to its best before date to people over the internet. So it's actually stimulating new businesses, this, this type of approach. Mm. I, I guess another aspect of this, you know, you talk about it in the home, but there's, there's a fair amount of waste in the food supply chain as well as in mm. restaurants. So the economist in me <laughs> tells me mm. that if a, a business in a really competitive industry is wasting food, they're wasting it because it's, it's in some way optimal for them. It, it, uh, it, it's the thing that's going to give them the most profit. Mm. Mm. Would you say that's the case or not? Well, that's a fascinating point. I, what I think is happens in business, because you know, are we always you know, perfectly rational economists in the way we act, David, and the way that businesses act? And I guess there's some things that take priority. And one of the things that you found that's very strong in uh, the modern uh, supermarket retail environment is availability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got stores, I'm sure you have in the US, we have in the UK, that are open 24-7. Well, not quite seven, but 24-6 and a bit more on the seventh day. Um, and the, you know, when, you, when you're thinking that whenever people come into store, they pretty much have got the same choice, doesn't matter what time of day or night, that then drives certain behaviours. Now, if you're not then measuring any of the consequences of that, that behaviour, i.e. it might, in perishable goods, lead to um, higher food waste, food loss and waste at back of store, for example, or down the supply chain, then you're not aware of the consequences of that drive to ensure that customers have great choice when they're going to store. And so what we found was, first of all, when you talk to people um, you know, about you know, wastage in the supply chain at back of store, the first, the first response was one of, well, no, it's not in our interest to waste food. Exactly your point. So we've got this under control. So we then said, okay, so do you then measure food? Oh, well, we, we estimate it by the, this mechanism and this mechanism. Ah, oh, yes, but that's not a very precise way of looking at it, is it? Because it's mixing two or three things together, including food loss and waste. Ah, oh, okay. So I tell you what, let's do a, a, a little bit of a case study and measure the, the amount of food waste you've got back of store and see how much it's costing you. And as soon as you got to that point, then people started taking this seriously and saying, ah, okay, so there's a trade-off here. There's a trade-off between making sure I'm giving my customer the best possible service and minimizing the the waste at back of store. And how can I manage that by optimizing my understanding of the data so that I get the, the best perfect economic output exactly as you've described? And, and it's fascinating that it's the measurement that is critical to that process. Once you've got people measuring, suddenly they start thinking carefully about it. Now, there's one other step they also have to take. And this is actually understanding the true cost of waste. Mm. So there's another angle of economic, economist behavior, which is, you know, you look at your bills, so if you're running a supermarket, you look at your staff costs, fine. You look at your electricity costs, fine. You look at your water costs. Well, that's probably a very low for, for, for most part of the West part of the US. It's certainly pretty low for the UK. And you look at your waste costs. 
and the waste costs are the cost of somebody coming along and picking up either recycling mm -hmm. uh, or disposing of your food loss and waste back at store. But that isn't the cost of waste, of course. That is merely the cost of getting rid of something that you've spent a lot of money producing, going right through the supply chain. It's, in fact, in, a, in the retail, it's very close to the, 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 the true cost of waste is actually the cost of loss of sales that you haven't sold that product to somebody um, over that period of time. But all the embodied energy, all the embodied labor costs, all the transportation, blah, 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 that's gone into producing that food is gone. And that isn't the cost of waste. The cost of waste disposal is on top of that sum. So you add up my loss of sales plus how much it's cost me to avoid it, of, um, uh, how much it's cost me in loss of sales plus the cost of disposal. That gives you the true cost of waste. And suddenly it changes the balance of your understanding of the problem. Huh. When, you, when you started looking at this and talking to uh, these firms, essentially they were interpreting the just the marginal cost of waste as the total cost. They, they weren't really looking at the opportunity cost, what they could have been doing otherwise. I mean, it, it wasn't as if they were, they, were, they were completely blind to that, but they had no system to measure it. Mm -hmm. And when, you're, when you've got no system to measure it, it's very difficult for you to be, to, to be clear about. It. What you did have was very clearly um, you know, an invoice from the waste management company. So that was there in front of you, and that was clear. Yeah. But you're right, they weren't giving, because they didn't have the data, they weren't, as you say, taking the full cost of waste into account. Mm. So, Professor David Just, so from the perspective of behavioral economist, so could you introduce some nudge for, um, for reducing <laughs> food waste? <laughs> well, I, I mean, certainly there, there are potential nudges available. And, and actually, even some of the things that uh, the Rich has been mentioning could fall under the category of a nudge. Um, you know, in, in, in the home, having some way of, of sort of keeping track of these items and, and, uh, and recognizing that something is about to go, um, you know, having something that, that warns you that it's about to go gives you the time to react and say, OK, I'm going to freeze this or I'm going to do something else with it so that I can I'm preserve it. The, the interesting thing to, to me here is the potential for, uh, you know, the discussion we just had was essentially talking about a mm. nudge for businesses mm. um, where by giving them some way to, to even track or get an idea of what that opportunity cost is, they've, they've reframed in their mind how important waste is mm. and made it a focus of their decision rather than something they sort of put in the back of their mind. Right. Yeah. That's right. That I think is really interesting and in, particularly in a really highly, I mean, you don't get more highly competitive than the restaurant industry, right? Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're making mistakes in the restaurant industry, you go out of business. Same, same in supermarkets, right? It's very, very competitive industry. Yeah, and cool. here, this, this sort of problem persists or, and persisted for a long, long time. Yeah. So, Dr. Richard Suano, do you have some advice for individual and for business? Yeah, sure. Well, if I take I take business first, I mean, I think the, the key thing is measure your food waste and see what opportunity you've got to save yourself lots of money. Um, work that we've done with the World Resources Institute and published, um, actually we've done one in hotels quite recently, uh, but also we've done one for, for the whole of the food system uh, produced last year on the Champions 12.3 uh, website. What we did is we looked at the cost of food waste and loss reduction initiatives 
and then looked at the benefits that accrued to those businesses, the true benefits, i.e. the full cost of, uh, of those benefits through reducing food waste. Um, and then we looked at the return on investment and also the time frame in which you got your money back. Um, and what, what we found that for many businesses, you're talking uh, you know, right across the supply chain, you're talking a median return on investment. That means 50% of the companies did, uh, got this level or better. They got $14 back for every $1 invested. So the business case is great. And I think it was 90, between 98 and 99% of companies got their money back within two years. And you know, the majority got their money back within a year. So it's, it's actually, there's a very strong business case to act. So please do measure. And, it, and if you do measure, there's lots of new technology on the market, everything from smart meters through um, intelligent uh, ways of measuring food waste that can give you very accurate uh, figures as to exactly what you're wasting at what point in the supply chain. Now, in the home, I think it's, it's relatively straightforward in the home. Yeah, thinking in terms of the fact that you, uh, you know, how can I make the best use of the food that I buy? And there is some quite simple things, which is do a bit of planning before you go shopping. Don't plan in store because you often overbuy if you do that. So write yourself a list could be an obvious way of doing it. When you get home, store it in the best possible location. If you're not going to get around to eating for a while, put it in the freezer. Lots of fruit and veg would store much longer in the fridge than if you leave them, leave them outside. Be aware of your use-by and your best-before dates. Freeze up to the use-by. It's perfectly fine. In, and think of creative things to do with stuff that's gone before after its uh, best before dates. And the other thing is, finally, if you, you know, most of us getting portion sizes right is a challenge. And there are lots of websites on, including Love Food, Hate Waste, which will give you great guidance on portion sizes. But the other thing is, it's inevitable we might cook, uh, you know, cook a little bit too much. But hey, leftovers make a great meal the next day. I mean, I I just had salad uh, and uh, uh, for lunch, which was uh, leftover from uh, from our barbecue last night. Brilliant. I loved it. And of course, I'm safe in the fact that it saved me money in the process of doing it. Practicing what you preach. (laughs) (laughs) And enjoying it as well, David. Yeah. I think that just brings us to a nice ending point. Thank you, Dr. Richard Swannell, for sharing today. And thank you, Professor Just. All right, folks, here comes to the end. We're so glad you're enjoying our podcast, Mad Hat Economics. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.